late Stevie Ray Vaughan with that guitar riff. Actually, that's not true. Guy Adami, Dan Nathan, Market Call, 1 o'clock on the East Coast. How are you folks? This is, in fact, Market Call, brought to you by our presenting sponsor, CME Group, Dan, where risk meets opportunity. Of course, our data provider, FactSet, financial data and analytics that are powered by tomorrow. Uh, I am all fired up because we got Mr. Softy, as they say, today. I love, I just like saying that. That's actually a very tragic nickname if you think about it you want to you do not want to be referred to as that under any circumstances but i digress how are you i'm doing well now i got all these sorts of weird images in my wow. head and but this is this is kind of the kickoff to big tech earnings season and i really think that again you know the the mood in the market has been one of euphoric we're gonna hit a whole heck of a lot of things I, our friend doug cass hit me the other night when i was talking about it. i said something about exuberance and euphoria and that sort of thing and he said i thought you're being a little hyperbolic he emailed me and you you didn't respond to that and i said i don't know if i'm being hyperbolic i see the sort of behavior that i'm seeing in a lot of stuff that were so hard hit last year, whether they be unprofitable tech, whether they be SPACs, whether it be crypto. I mean, like, listen, there's a bit of euphoria. And it's the sort of excitement about markets, guy, that was like the ingredients for the sort of crash that we had in many of those sorts of asset classes or names, you know, from the highs in 2021 to the lows last year. So the fact that these things are screaming this year, um, it, it is not hyperbolic to say that it is kind of a bit of irrational exuberance considering what I think are, um, you know, many, many headwinds to, to, to us being out of this bear market here. Irrational in the fact that it's doing it in the face of some economic data that is not strong whatsoever, you know, doing it in the face of slowdown in earnings, doing it in the face of layoffs across a swath of industries here in the United States. I mean, you know, again, irrational because it just doesn't make sense given what we're seeing now people will say well wait a second dan wait a second guy the market discounts it's a forward looking i I, yeah i get it i get all those things but you know even if you look forward i just don't see what the end of the rainbow here is there's some pain that needs to be had along the way and i think this move over the first however many trading days we're into january now you know, to a certain extent, you can explain it to a certain extent. I think you're right. It is somewhat irrational. Well, and, and that's the point. So Microsoft, this is the real deal here. You know, we had financial earnings. We had Netflix. We're going to hit Netflix. We're going to hit Microsoft towards the end. But I mean, to me, really what what companies have to say, what they got to, that's the most important thing. We still have S&P 500 consensus looking up, you know, low single digits year over year um, from an EPS basis. 225, I think, is the consensus. I think you and I, some of the, the the strategists that we follow closely, Mike Wilson, his base case is a dollar or $195, okay? So, you know, and, and and again, here we are, you know, our friend John Butters over there at FactSet Earnings Insight blog, you know, he's been detailing, you know, where the S&P um, PE is right now at about 17. That's in line with, you know, the 10 five-year average. It just doesn't seem like that's how this bear market is going to bottom. Real quickly, Guy, you know, you were mentioning this, and I know that a lot of people on the Twitter, and um, I, I'm assuming CNBC mentioned this this morning, there was some funky action going on in the NYSE. A lot of weird prints. Maybe our guys can pull up the Walmart. They can pull up TSM. They can pull up Triple uh, M. Um, there was a lot of weird things going on. Now, from our standpoint, hopefully they all got settled out. Hopefully people didn't trade at the wrong prices by accident or because of this glitch. It certainly makes for some ugly charts here, though, in the meantime. Yeah, they're going to have to explain that one. And to your point, I mean, for you technicians out there, I'm not sure Carter's watching, but it certainly makes a technician's job that much more difficult, akin to that minus $39 print in front month crude we saw a couple Aprils ago. 
it just really skews things. But I mean, charting notwithstanding, one has to ask, you know, what really happened here? Because it really hasn't been explained. You know, let's talk about a glitch or a fat finger, whatever it is. I mean, you wonder if there's something far more nefarious at foot, but it's going to make for Look, I mean, you go back to all the way of May 2010 when you saw that flash crash. And I'm not saying this is anywhere near to that level, but you see the vulnerabilities of the market. And this speaks to something bigger, market structure, something we talk about from time to time. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, real quickly before we hit kind of um, just some of the charts, the S&P, the NASDAQ futures here, um, I want to talk about just something that you just mentioned about the job cuts that we're seeing. And, you know, here's the name that we don't talk about a whole heck of a lot. Maybe the guys could throw up the uh, 3M chart. It's down nearly 6%. And I think that some of the headlines um, out of that earnings call, you know, they're cutting 2,500 manufacturing jobs. Mm -hmm. That's really important. A lot of the jobs cut we've been talking about have been in tech and they've been engineers and they've been, you know, kind of white collar jobs. But manufacturing jobs if we were to see that to start to um accelerate i mean those are the sorts of things that would really feed into um you know a recession narrative and and again at a time where the consensus very clearly guys seems to be soft landing which might exclude a recession so to me i think that's interesting and then here's this headline the ceo of triple m vows to reassess everything we do and look at that stock you know it was trading very near a 52-week low forget the the bad print in the nyc what is that is this one of the first headlines you've seen like that as far as manufacturing jobs First one I've seen, I'm sure there have been others that have sort of fallen under the radar, but Triple M, the size and scope of the company, you think about the different industries they touch. I mean, this is, I think, again, I'm glad we're bringing it up because I do think it's important. And this is worth emphasizing, I think. It's not as though a month from now these jobs are going to come back. When they make decisions like this, there's extraordinarily long lag times associated with it. And you know, the hiring on the back end won't take place a month or six months from now. now you're talking about something that'll probably, you know, we're years away from a reacceleration probably in terms of hiring. And it speaks to exactly what we've been talking about. You know, we've talked about the layoffs in technology. Now we're starting to see it in manufacturing. And when the CEO of a company of this size says, we're going to take a hard look or reexamine, I'm paraphrasing all the businesses we're in. I mean, that speaks to, hey, you know, we got to start to tighten the belt, as they say, look where we can cut where we can and sort of tighten things up. Um, I, again, that does not speak of a great backdrop for the economy right now. Again, my opinion. Yeah. One other headline here, U.S. Uh, sues Google for alleged antitrust valuations in its ad tech business. And again, you know, Google's going to report next week. Alphabet, the stocks had a nice little run here, guy. Um, it moved from, I don't know, 84 bucks or so mm -hmm. to almost 100 yesterday. It's pulling back a little bit here. Not so much, uh, you know, not, not, not that big of an impact from this headline. I think obviously regulatory has been a big overhang for a lot of these huge platform companies. But it does, you know, kind of lead you to believe that if you're Sundar Pichai and and, and, you know, like, do you want to kind of put up some great quarter and great guidance in the face of this sort of headline here? Um, you know, again, this is going to be something that's going to take a very long time to kind of work through. We know the EU has been all over Google and some of these other um, big, you know, uh, platform companies in the U.S. for a while. And uh, I just think back to, you know, these sorts of headlines in the late 90s as it relates to Microsoft, you know, they really kept Microsoft under wraps. Microsoft missed some huge moves when you think about just kind of, you know, uh, internet and social after that or whatever, because they're bogged down for years with the Justice Department. So, uh, again, that's just a headline to keep an eye on. Um, thoughts there quickly, Guy? Well, I mean, UNH, I see a comment about UNH. Google's 
obviously we made a very compelling case or at least bulls have on valuation for quite some time that's proven to be the wrong course of action because the stock has basically been upper left lower right this bounce takes us back to the highs we saw in october um the question is do we fail here my sense is we probably will still have a sloping downward 200 day moving average i don't think we're going to revisit the august highs anytime soon and i think this is one of those stocks that We've seen moves of this magnitude a number of times over the last year to the upside, only to be met by sellers and make the next leg lower. And I think that's what we're going to see here. So I understand the headline. I get it. One has to ask, though, what's the backdrop for Google's business, their ad business? And with things you mentioned it a while, you know, this whole chat GBT or whatever the hell that thing is. I mean, what does that mean for Google down the road? I mean, that could be one of those. I don't want to use existential risk. It's probably a little too. Um, dramatic, but you know it's definitely out there in their in their purview for sure in terms of risk to their businesses. Yeah, you know the other point, and, and this might be very Twitter specific. The information last week was reporting that their sales, their revenues in the quarter, and their ninety some percent, you know, advertising based Twitter was down, you know, nearly forty percent mm-hmm. between thirty five and forty percent. So again, it'll be really interesting to see um, what these guys have to say, what many of these ad supported models have to say in the next few weeks. All right, let's hit our main man, um, Alf. He is the Macro Compass. Um, he is at Macro Alf. I think uh, Alfonso Pecatiello. Um, here yeah, good you know, I, and I, and I, this is we've had him on. He's this yeah. is a brilliant dude. The problem, of course, is the show Alf, which I know you remember from '86 yes, to like '91. Which, yeah. again, you know, that's just I don't know what people were thinking. I got an idea for a show. Anyway, sorry, Dan. Now, he should he might want to rethink his his moniker, but maybe that's a good thing. I don't. Think. Well, his name is Alfonso. I mean, yeah. So I would know. say macro Alfonso, like. Yeah. Okay. I got you. Um, I mean, so just, he's the macro know, compass. Let's, let's call him Pecatiello. Maybe we could come up with something good with Pecatiello. Um, here's, this is a really great tweet here, man. New lows for the U S leading indi- uh, indicator index. The indicator has a hundred percent hit rate on anticipating recessions with seven to eight mm-hmm. months lag. It's now pointing to recession starting at Q2 on par with the 20, uh, 2001, uh, recession markets in the meantime, soft landing and la la land. I mean, I guess you and I've been saying that in sort of a different manner here. Um, again, you know, just to, consensus shifted right towards this soft landing narrative and again consensus was really negative last year like into that october low and it got a whole heck of a lot better and a lot of it has to do with the fact that you've been mentioning this for you know months now is that sooner or later you know people are going to get sick of the idea that the fed's going to continue to raise and and qt is going to be um this steadfast thing and they're going to pivot at some point and that's the that's the mentality right here i'm just not sure that sticks right now guy this is, you know, this is a visual description of what's going on. And as they say, a picture's worth a thousand words. What he points out is 100% accurate. And in other ways, different people have tried to point out the same thing. I mean, David Tepper, to a certain extent, has been pointing this out. John uh, Paul Tudor Jones recently has made comments like this. Jamie Dimon has outlined uh, very similar stuff. Elon Musk, love him, hate him, whatever. You know, he's made comments about what he thought was going on in the economy, what we were in store for. So there are a lot of voices out there saying the same thing in different manners. Obviously, over the last couple of weeks, the market is choosing to ignore it. The question you have to ask yourself is, you know, what's the backdrop for these things not to take place? And when you talk about a 100% hit rate with the kind of um, data that he has to support it, it's hard to, again, it's, it's hard to understand how this market can continue to go on on its merry way. La La Land is what he said. It makes sense to me. 
Yeah, um, great song, hard to explain by the Strokes, and then there's I love hard the to Strokes. Know. I and saw them at um, you did not Beacon Theater in in '97. You, did you really? I mean, no, be, be, I okay. completely I mean, made that up. They were coming up in the late '90s here, yeah. a New York band. Um, I did see them at Irving Plaza um, in June of 2021. Great band. Um, and then there's also um, Hard to Imagine by Pearl Jam, another yeah. one of my favorites. And there's also Hard to Handle by the Black Crows. Um, you know, I'm gonna see. Hey, I'm gonna see the Black Crows in concert in Tempe, Arizona. Um, I'm going to a music fest. I'm gonna see Green Day is gonna be headlining on February 25th, and on the 26th is Eddie Vedder and Black Crows are on the undercard what do you think about that guy i saw the black crows they warmed up i want to say for aerosmith in the late 90s or something i saw them at the meadowlands and that's a great band i tell you what the fact that those brothers can't stand each other and sort of oh, the dynamic right. on there's, no i'm just telling a lot you, of I mean, market call people they don't know this joke okay so that would be oasis and did you really see oasis no live no, it, it really is the guy, black crows Oh, anyway. Chris Robinson. He's oh yeah, yeah. Chris Rob. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, all right, let's let's right. move on a little. By the way, bit. he was married to um Kate Hudson for. I mean, I just I, yeah, I from Almost Famous. Right. She's Penny Lane. She's Penny Lane. Um, yeah. okay. Somebody um asked us in, in the chat, what what do we think about the latest Michael Burry tweet? Michael Burry I didn't of see it. short fame. That's Charlie Waller. Um, and so the tweet is this. He didn't. He actually took a chart and he didn't put the um he didn't put the ticker on it. We do that every once in a while. And he's basically saying, is this a comparison? And if you go back and you look when this was, oh, and you I see what subsequently happened. The and I think it's in the in the bear market back in 2000, 2001. 2002 um the alf also had um a tweet this morning talking about bear market rallies don't confuse them for a new bull market um you know there were eight of those of like 15 or 20 percent or more back in that time period i remember that time period very well and i guess the point that that you and i can both you know recall is that the difference now the difference in 08 i mean 08 was the only down year in the s p 500 when you think about just the devastation of the financial crisis but oo is down Oh, one was down. Oh, two was down. Okay. And oh, two felt worse than oh, one. And oh, you know what I mean? It was a mm -hmm. bad protracted bear market. And for some reason, we have just not been afforded a good old fashioned protracted bear market guy in two decades here. And I think that could be one of the reasons why if consensus shifts so aggressively, the biggest difference between right now and the financial crisis and right now in the dot-com implosion is that interest rates were going down then. That monetary right. policy was getting easy, and it's only done the opposite. And if you think about that last tweet from the ALF and you think about those leading indicators, one of the big differences here is that the lag effect of that tightening is going to be around for all of 2023. That's what I've been saying for a while. Is, again, yeah. I'm not suggesting he listens, but that you know that's exactly right. The lag effect of the – we're just starting to feel – the effects of Fed tightening over the last year or so. We're just starting to feel the effects of a balance sheet that's trying to be reduced. And those, again, that does not go away as that starts that lasts for a long period of time. And the economy is going to feel it. And more importantly, for what we do here, because we're not economists, I think the market's going to start to feel it as well. And if you, again, if you listen, listen to the conference calls, listen to some of the commentary, just see what's going on in terms of hiring, more importantly, firing, uh, it, it's right there before us. I mean, margins are getting hit. Earnings are getting hit. We're starting to see decelerating revenue growth. We're going to lower. I'll tell you this, as you know, over the next couple of weeks, as I said yesterday, 93 S&P 500 companies report this week. We're obviously going to know a lot more over the next 10 days or so. Um, and you're going to get a, probably you know, some good and some bad, but we have to look at things in the aggregate. And Microsoft kicking things off, I mean, that's going to tell the tale 
in terms of what they're seeing. And you mentioned this uh, a couple weeks ago. You watched that Satya Nadella interview from CNBC Asia. I think he was speaking in India. And some of his commentary sort of caught your eye uh, or caught your ear, I should say. And you were sort of uh, struck by how, I don't want to say dour, but how negative he was. Yeah, I, I mean, listen. I don't know how you can come out and 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 uh, beat and guide up after you start the, the the first week of the year, you know, giving that sort of commentary about the macro landscape and saying that it's going to be difficult for two years. But like, we will certainly see here. Let's look at the major indices here. Let's look at the S and P five hundred futures guy. You know, we've been tracking this um, that downtrend. Mm-hmm. We briefly broke it. You know, in December after that weaker than expected uh, CPI print. Here we are. We're above the two hundred day moving average. We're um, you know slightly above contending with that downtrend you know we asked carter braxton worth he's going to be on with us tomorrow again you know what would be a convincing breakout here and again it, it has to be a consolidation on good volume above it and seeing you know some pretty good breath here um you know talk to me a little bit about this one because you know I, i'm and i'm going to get to this in a second I, i'm fading the nasdaq more than mm-hmm. the s&p right now i think the s&p i think in general is going to be the benefit of these rotations that we've seen out of big cap tech into energy into industrials maybe into financials into some of these things that have lagged that are deemed to be the offensive right now of, of late it, it, you know staples have uh and, you know and in, in, in some of the healthcare stocks so curious on the s p here yeah. um and and what that would mean well, for you a meaningful breakout for the sake of consistency i mean the longer we stay above the 200 day moving average you know the longer we sort of remain or start to i guess sort of levitate above this downtrend line the more self-fulfilling it becomes and then you're going to see a chorus of people talking about the August highs, which, again, I think we're about 4280 or so. So I get it. You know, I think we fail here, but we you know, we have to be, I think, level of consistency that, you know, the longer we stay here, uh, the more likely it is for it starting to feed upon itself. And you might see the panic to the upside that we talk about a number of times. I think we fail here. And if you're asking me which you are. I think it probably comes on the form of some of the commentary, some of the guidance we hear out of these companies. Uh, The last couple of days have had me scratching my head without question, but we've seen this before and we've seen it, you know, pretty violently play out at least three or four times over the last 12 to 14 months. Yeah. All right. Let's look at the the NASDAQ 100 futures here. And this one's really interesting to me. You know, I, I put I bought a put spread this morning in the QQQ, which is the ETF that tracks the NASDAQ 100. But the future is really interesting here. OK, not above their 200 day moving average. They are above that downtrend that's been in place since the you know January of 2022 here, guy. And I'll just say this. If I was trading the futures at these current levels here. So here we are at about 11.895 or so. If I were to short those and, and, and you know, again, you can use the minis here. I might look to put a stop back at that December intraday high mm-hmm. there, twelve thousand two thirty, if that makes some sense. So again, if I'm shorting the futures here at these current levels, eleven eight nine four and a half or so, I'm looking to put a stop right above that prior high there. Okay, that's giving me kind of some of the latitude. That's two and a half percent higher. So like again, you want you don't want to take big losses here, but you want to be persistent here. Um, so that would be a level for me as far as the QQQ the ETF that tracks it, you know, today when the stock was trading or the ETF 287 and a half, um, I bought the 285, 260. If you look at that level, if we pull up the QQQ right here, guy, that 260 level is what we bounced off of earlier this year. And so what am I looking to do here? I'm paying $5 for a 25 wide. Um, If I were to see this thing come in about 10% or so, 
and I have a move, you know, back to that 260 support level and, you know, I'm risking one to possibly make up to four. And what I always do, what I always do is use a mental stop. You know, mm -hmm. I do guy about 50% of the premium that I spend. So if I paid five, if it were about two and a half, because the thing's going sideways, going higher, I'm going to cut my losses and move on here. Yeah. And if you look at this triple Q's, you know, you have seen on this one, it's pretty clear. We have traded up to the moving average. We have failed now probably three times prior this would be the fourth time, and I think that's how it's going to play out. Again, if it doesn't play out, you know what you're risking, and you know what your reward is if you're right. These are the levels to do it. I mean, this is what you've been waiting for is a move like this to put on a position that sort of illustrates that negative thesis. So it makes a lot of sense, and I think you've structured it properly. You know, the pro Again, the problem with these trades, not that there's a problem with your trade, the problem is – you know, people talk about these trades. Then when the market sets up for it, yeah. it always feels terrifying. Like, oh, my God, the market's breaking out. Why would I put this on? That's typically the time you want to do it. It's when the market pushes you and scares you a little bit is typically when the right entry points presents itself or themselves, yeah. I should say. Yeah, and again, in the futures, that's why the beauty of using stops there, if they get elected, you know, you kind of take some little chops there. Um, okay, let's let's kind of move on to the VIX here, guy, because when I think about this, we've been talking about this, when the VIX has been below 20 over the last year, it's been um, a good opportunity to sell stock when it's got all the way up to that $30 level or the mid-30s or so, it's been a good opportunity um, to buy stocks mm -hmm. here. But what happens you know into earnings you know like listen very simply you know if we were to see all of these major tech names put up some good prints some good guidance i mean this vix is going to melt just very very simply that's not what i think is going to happen it's not how i'm positioned um but you know again let's just use that vix and, and by the way we really enjoyed that conversation with Chris Sidiel of the yeah. Amber Group. He runs a um, a fund over there that does tail risk hedging. They have a lot of research on the VIX. So check out our On the Tape podcast that Guy and I had a conversation with Chris. Um, and he's a well-followed guy on the Twitter. A lot of good stuff over there. So if you want to get a, a little up to speed on what the VIX is telling us, Chris gave us a little bit of a, a dump there, Guy. Yeah, I think Chris was able to explain you know, the reason why the VIX is probably not doing what most people think it was doing. Yeah. He talked about tail risk and how they set up for it. But to your point, um, when the VIX and the last two times that we've talked about, October and then prior to that in June, you know, you mm -hmm. saw a VIX around 34 or so when it appeared as though we were at sort of peak pessimism and peak fear. That was actually the right time to buy stocks. And we actually talked about both those times doing exactly that and how the market was setting up anywhere from a 15 to 18% rally. And you saw both times it happened. It happened in June and August. It happened in October, I guess, into December or so. Uh, both times seemingly failed. Now we're getting a little bit of a uh, pushback to the upside now. But a VIX in the teens here, given the backdrop we have, especially given the backdrop of some of the things that we don't talk about all that much, this debt ceiling thing, which I think is going to pose more of a problem that people are, are letting on, you know, I think the VIX is just not priced properly at these levels. And VIX at these levels has been the indication not to buy stocks as you're getting the green light, but more inclined to sell stocks because people are too complacent. Yeah, and I guess the one thing that, that kind of got people encouraged to buy stocks uh, at the turn of the calendar was this 10-year U.S. Treasury yield. You see how it kind of um, was rejected about a month ago um, after it had a little bit of a bounce here. Um, if you look at that bounce, 
that it just had again off its 200-day moving average. You know, you see the downtrend that's in place. Maybe there's a move back to 380 or so, guy. But again, as rates go lower, it kind of gives investors, and, and you know, and again, maybe that was the reason for this move back into SPACs on profitable tech and crypto and the like. And when we look at the CME FedWatch tool here, we see it's a near certainty at the Fed one meeting. The Fed's going to raise 25 basis points. The upper end of the Fed funds rate is going to be uh, 4.75. Then we look out to that March meeting and the CME FedWatch tool is pricing over 75 basis point or a 75% uh, chance that they raise another 25. Mm -hmm. And that's when it's supposed to end. And so again, you know, that doesn't kind of, um, you know, incorporate what the quantitative tightening, what that means, uh, the continuation of that, but we're going to be at 5%. And that's what the Fed's been targeting. And that's uh, the CME FedWatch tool has been telling us for a very long time. Yeah. But then, of course, the question is duration, which we've had this conversation numerous times. I think there's this belief that once they stop, the next move and the next couple of meetings will be for them to go back the other way. And I just think that's folly that that will happen. They've indicated that they're going to stay higher for longer. And I think they, they actually mean it this time. With that said, if for some reason they started to cut, the real question you have to ask yourself, under what set of circumstances would that take place? It's certainly not going to be against the backdrop of things going really well. It would be something pretty bad would happen, I would have to imagine. So as much as you think that Fed potentially reversing course would be bullish, the question, again, you have to ask yourself, what would cause them to do that? And I can't believe it would be a good set of circumstances. Yeah, no doubt. And, and again, if you look at the U.S. dollar, um, you know, this thing has just feels really heavy. It's in this big downtrend. It's well below its 200 day moving average. Now, this mm -hmm. could be something that we hear, um, you know, companies, uh, especially U.S. multinationals, pretty excited about if you think about, you know, that that move that it's had over the last um, few months or so. So that could continue to be a tailwind. Maybe that kind of helps buffer at least um, a little bit of the, the negative sort of guidance that some people um, expect. And then the last one, you know it's just crude you think of this thing and you look at like some of the way that some of these major inflation inputs have rolled over this you know crude has had a nice little bounce here but it still acts really heavy so um you know curious your thoughts on here is this more a reflection on expected growth and maybe that little bounce that we've seen was just part of this whole chinese reopening trade yeah so this is where things get really interesting right so the crude bounce obviously a weaker dollar is helping that and you outlined the weaker dollar you've been talking about that for a while so that headwind for crude has become a tailwind well if not a tailwind at least it's sort of uh dissipated that headwind a bit number one number two yes chinese reopening has definitely been a bit of a um again created a bit of a tailwind here it's given some positive emphasis but what we're not talking about probably probably enough supply demand fundamentals continue to be out of whack at this price point they don't you know the supply demand fundamentals suggest crude should be significantly higher and I think you're starting to see that because we're start we again, we're seeing sort of pre-COVID demand levels for crude against a backdrop where there's just not a lot of excess production out there. So, you know, for you supply demand people, for you econ majors, I mean, that's really what we're looking at here. And at a certain point, price has to catch up. But even if the price, and I've mentioned this a number of times, even if we just go sideways from here for the foreseeable future and the market sort of does nothing, it sort of vacillates around this 4,000 level. A lot of these energy equities are still too cheap. And we've seen an OIH, listen, we've seen it go from 265, 270. I think it got north of 330s, probably 320 now. Exxon, Chevron, all within sort of whispers of their all-time high. 
you know, I'm still one of the few, well, one of the people out there, I don't want to say few, because I do think there are a lot that believe this, that think energy equities are still a place to be early this year into the spring. Yeah. Um, here's one that you think is still a place to be, and that is gold. And, oh. and I think some of our market call viewers, um, you know, they remember a couple of weeks ago, I detailed the bearish trade. I used options in the GLD, the ETF that tracks the shiny metal. That guy has been very bullish of over the last few months. I cut that um, that trade. Um, I got to my mental stop, and, and that was a good point because the closer I get to that expiration that I was targeting, um, those things are just kind of losing their value here. So I cut that at a 50% loss here. Guy, where do you think? Are we going to see 2000 in, in, in gold very soon? We should be. You know, I say this all the time, and I'm going to be – I'm going to try to be brief here because we're up against the clock. But, you know, all the things that have happened over the last six months specifically, specifically all the central bank uh, gold buying we've been seeing, gold should be at least 2000 if not making all-time highs, it's not. So the question is, you know, what's going to be the catalyst in terms of price? And I don't know what it is, but this uptrend is intact. And just given what's going on, this sort of slow and steady wins the race and Bank of Japan continuing to push buttons uh, seemingly willy-nilly in terms of what they're trying to do for their currency and their interest rates, to me, lends itself to being long gold. So I stay with the trade here. All right, let's talk about this one. Yesterday, we kind of teased this guy. Mm. We were talking about Netflix here, and you had a really nice call into the print. You've had a really nice call for months now. You've been highlighting the relative strength that Netflix has shown um, since that gap that it had last spring over the course of the summer into the fall. You thought maybe that the price um, really kind of overshot the fundamentals and the opportunities here. Thoughts here, because you were saying before the print, before last week, I'd stay long this thing if you're long. You think they're going to put up a good report, especially relative to expectations expectations even though the stock had rallied so much but you said that if we go in and we fill in that gap and you got that gap fill you'd probably be a seller on the way out now yesterday you and i were talking about that because i asked you again because the stock has just continued here and we thought well listen you know maybe we could kind of structure a little bit of an options trade for some of those long holders who still believe who still believe in the name and they don't want to let go of it so quickly thoughts here on the netflix and then i'll kind of detail um a hedge idea i have in the in the name for long in the spring of last year Year, we talked about how for the first time in the history of the stock being a publicly traded company, it was trading at a valuation that not only was cheap to itself, it was cheap to the broader market. And we said, it's setting up as a value investment, a value trade, and we thought it could rally. And you pointed out the fact that we thought it could fill some of the gaps we made along the way to the downside. We thought they could fill them on the way back up. And 345 was sort of the level that I was targeting and it happened. Now we've overshot to the upside. I think people are getting a tad you, too euphoric here. Remember, Reed Hastings is stepping down. He's obviously going to still be part of the company. It's obviously a bit of a transition there at Netflix. And the quarter was good. But if you really pull it apart, was it good enough to be supportive of, again, just sort of holding on to the move we've already seen? I suggest not. It's not saying that Netflix is broken by any stretch of imagination, but this is a trading show. And I think the trade to the upside is over. And now I start to think you have to look for the back and fill down to that uptrend line, which probably you know, given time erosion takes you back down to 305, 310. Yeah. And again, I would just say on that chart, I mean, you, you probably don't want to be long that stock if it breaks that uptrend. So one idea, in, and again, I love this kind of this structure using options for long holders of stock, especially when they want to continue to own something, they want to participate in the upside, but they want to define the risk of the downside. So it's called a collar and, and some, some traders would call it a risk reversal. So I just want to lay this out here. So let's just say you're long a hundred shares of Netflix at 360. Let's say you have some 
big gains. Again, this stock was trading what 270 guy, 275 um, at you know the end of last mm -hmm. year. So about a month ago or so, you would look to sell an out of the money call. You would take in that call proceeds the, of, of that sale and you use it to buy an out of the money put. And what you're doing is the gains between the um, current stock price and that short um, call strike, that's what you would kind of take in between now and, and that expiration that you're targeting and then to the downside. Um, so you would have the gains of the stock up to that short call strike. And on the downside, you would have losses of the stock down to the long put sprite. So that's called a collar. And so here's the example I want to give here versus the stock at 360, 100 shares long. You'd buy the March 320, 410 collar for even money. You'd sell one of the Netflix March 410 calls about six bucks. You'd use the proceeds to buy one of the Netflix March 320 puts for about six dollars. It costs you nothing. As the stock moves higher, you're basically going to have gains. Okay. Um, but that call that you're short is also going to gain in value. And to the downside, as the stock moves lower, right, you're going to have losses of the stock, but you're going to actually gain in that put. Now, time is a really important uh, point here. This is March expiration. Here we are at the end of January, a little more than a month and a half. And so, again, uh, your best case scenario in March is that you would have gains of up to $50 between 360 and 410. Your stock could be called away. If the stock was 410 or higher on March expiration. That's up about 14%. You could always buy back that short call to stay along the stock. You have losses of up to 40 between 360 and 320, and you're protected down below that um, long uh, put strike of 320 here. So again, this is just a collar structure. It seems a bit more complicated than it is. It's selling an out-of-the-money call. And it's buying an out-of-the-money put. And when I do this versus long stock, I don't want to spend a whole heck of a lot of premium to do it, guy. Gives you optionality, as they say, if you long Netflix. So if anybody's watching here that is currently long Netflix or has been long Netflix, this makes a lot of sense. And you could structure the trade by obviously buying Netflix at this level and then putting on the subsequent uh, sell, selling of the call and opening of the and buying of the put. It makes a lot of sense. And this, the market is giving you an opportunity to do so. And you get opportunities like this in certain names every once in a while. That's why you have to constantly be on the lookout, especially if you have a view, which I do, that it's probably going to run out of a little gas here. It's had a great run. It's not a broken company by any stretch, but we've seen great stocks that definitely do back and fills, especially if the broader market is going to cooperate to the downside. Netflix won't be spared, Dan. All right, last one. Mr. Softy, we started the show with it. We're going to end it. They report after the close tonight. The implied move in the options market is about 5%. How do I fi figure that out, guys? The stock's about 242 right now. If I look at the weekly at the money straddle, I take the call premium. I take the put premium. It's about 12 bucks. I take that 12. I divide it by that strike, 242. Two and a half that is the at the money straddle that gets me about five dollars so if i am basically just making a play on that this thing is going to move one way or another i don't have a direction in mind i would need a five percent move in either direction if i bought that at the money straddle but to the other point is that if you just wanted to buy an at the money call or an at the money put in the weeklies because you did have conviction but you wanted to define your risk you would basically need a two and a half percent move um, in either direction to do that so if i look at this five-year chart though guy that is a well-defined downtrend mm -hmm. you see that support level down there below 200 that's the pre-pandemic higher so i really feel like okay maybe the stock could bounce back towards that downtrend that we see up near that 200 day moving average but i really do think that this thing is going to see 200 before it's all said and done go back to june and remember what the stock did close around 255 reported earnings in the aftermarket uh the knee-jerk reaction was to take it lower 242 it printed 
then the subsequent conference calls when things move. So remember, the real move is going to take place during or post-conference call. So don't get faked out by the initial move. So to your point, you could actually see the initial move, you know, 5% of this is a $12 move higher to that downtrend line. And then the subsequent conference call, give it all and then some back. So that is not an outrageous uh, set of circumstances or scenario to play out about, you know, four or so hours from now, Dan, or five hours or so from now. All right. Well, that's it for us. We're going to be on CNBC's man, Fast oh, Money tonight. We are going to be talking about it as it comes out live on CNBC. Before All we right, get out of here, we got to, we want to tease something that's coming up. I actually think, if I'm not mistaken, we built, what do they call those things that slides? Don't think, oh, look at yeah. that. Yeah, look at that. Slide it, Earl. Join us. Check this out, Dan. 30-minute virtual event to discuss the outlook for earnings, energy, and ESG in 2023. We'll be joined by, you know who, Dan, John <laughs> Butters himself, as well as Matthew Haggerty and Eli Reisman. The live stream, February 8th, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Check the description in the link. Please sign up. Registration page will be there as well. Uh, we'll put the link in the feeds, all the different risk reversal feeds. You'll be able to find it, Dan Nathan. I look forward to this. Yeah, we did this last year with these three experts from Facts. It was a great conversation here. We hit uh, all the E's, guy. That that, that and maybe mm. we'll throw in a new E this year. I mean, well, EY, right? maybe throw yeah, in well, that's an EY. So this was fun, and this is going to be something that's really informative. So check that out. Find it um, in that feed right there. We'll tweet it out. But also, if you click through it in our YouTube where you are right now, you'll be able to register for that. All right, guy. We we covered a lot of ground today. That was I fun. think we did. I apologize for going late. Um, I will be better tomorrow. Tomorrow, of course, we will be joined by the great Carter Braxton Worth. But that's it for today. I want to thank our sponsor, CME Group, where risk meets opportunity. FactSet, our data provider. I want to thank Dan Nathan. I want to thank our audience who has been with us the entire way and continues to grow each and every day. Enjoy these Microsoft earnings later today. Check us out on Fast Money in approximately, what, Dan, three and a half hours or so. We will see you tomorrow, one o'clock Eastern time. <laughs>